0: Turn your Bibles to Psalm 17. If you're using one of the blue chair Bibles, it's on page 454. There's a genre of shows, both TV and movie, that have arisen even more than in the past, in the last couple years, and that is the idea of crime shows and documentaries about crime, about the legal process. You have uh, ones that become famous, like Making a Murderer a couple years ago, and you just see more and more every day. And we have to ask, when we see the market respond that way, there must be a desire for it. And a lot of them are what we might call cold cases, or ones where it takes a long time for justice to be done. And I think those are compelling because there is this waiting for justice that must happen. And that creates the drama which makes it easier to watch and more fun to watch. But you watch as they unfold decades of not knowing who committed a crime or false imprisonment where someone is waiting decades for justice to be done. And they always tease that new piece of evidence right before the commercial break. That new Witness who might have something new to say right before they fade to black. <laughs> but why is this compelling? Why is this wait for justice so compelling? Two ideas. One, the idea that someone who is innocent is suffering injustice. That is compelling to us. That hits us at our core. Now later when you go online and actually search the stories you realize it's not as black and white as you thought or as the documentary person wanted you to think but still as they build their case you think more and more how can this person be in jail or how can they not find the killer? And then secondly I think it's compelling because of the sheer length of time that someone is waiting For justice to be done. The cold case that is 40 years old. The person who's been wrongly in prison for 50 years. And often, when you get to that part of the show where that person walks out of jail, when he walked in, he was a young man, and now he's a grandpa or that family that is finally able to find closure when their grandparents were murdered all those years ago. We want to see justice done, even if it takes years and decades. And we especially want to see justice done for the innocent. There is an innate drive in us to rail against injustice against the innocent. And that's where Psalm 17 comes to us. One author has described this as a psalm of innocence. A psalm spoken by someone who is innocent against the injustice That they are facing. This is a subcategory of lament psalms, which we've seen before. It is a psalm that cries out to God for justice. It gives words to the injustice we see in our world and our experience of it. And so I want us to look at Psalm 17 this morning as a way to cry out to God for justice in a way that is godly and holy, and a way to sustain ourselves as we wait for justice. So our big idea, if you're following along in your outline, providing your bulletin, is this. We pray to God for justice while we wait on the promise of eternal life. Let's now look at Psalm 17, beginning in verse 1. We see a prayer for justice because of innocence. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. Hear a just cause, O Lord. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. From your presence let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. Now as I said, this psalm is part of a larger group of psalms called Lament Psalms of crying out to God in pain. And one of the essential elements of a lament psalm is that the pain is addressed to God. We see this in verses 1 and 2. Hear a just cause, O Lord. Give ear to my prayer. Let your eyes behold the right. Calling out to God. And while this may be the most basic part of a lament, it is often one of the most useful that when we cry out in pain or in the face of injustice, we are crying out to someone. I don't know if you remember this, but back in 2017, there was a protest in a bunch of cities around our country, and they gathered to scream to the sky. (laughs) And they felt like that would satisfy them. And they might tell you that it satisfied them, but if you don't believe in a God... If you're screaming to the sky, it's not really going to do anything except maybe give you a hoarse voice later that day. When we protest and we lift up our prayers, we are actually praying to someone. We are praying to the God of the universe who not only hears our prayers but acts upon those prayers. when you are experiencing hardship and injustice, do not wait for the last resort of prayer. One of the disciplines of prayer is being quick to pray and not saving it for now that I've tried everything now, I guess I'll pray. (laughs) But let's look at the content of his address to the Lord. What does he want God to do? He wants him to listen and he wants him to be the just judge. Hear a just cause, O Lord. Let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. So, the overarching picture of God throughout this is God, who is seated on his throne above the earth, sees all things and is the judge of all things, who will vindicate the just and the right. He prays for vindication, for justice to be done. And he can do this because, in verses 3 to 5... He calls for justice because of his own holiness in the situation. Because in this case, he is blameless. So let's look at verses 3 to 5. You have tried my heart. You have visited me by night. You have tested me and you will find nothing. I have purposed that my mouth will not transgress. With regard to the works of man, by the word of your lips, I have avoided the ways of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. David calls for God's justice on the basis of his own godliness. His heart can be tested even at night when it's easy to cover up those sins and be found innocent. In fact, he states that he is even innocent as far as sinning with his words and his mouth. He can state with confidence that he is living according to God's word. And in verse 5 we have this great picture. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. Now this is not David denying the sinful nature of all people, including himself. David had, and you can read these in the Bible, many episodes where his sinful nature is on full display. That's why he has to write Psalm 51. But this is a category for living in a fallen world. Remember, Psalms, like the book of Proverbs, Wisdom literature. And so when David is looking at his own holiness and presenting this to God, he is following the books of wisdom that say there are two paths the one that follows God, that is good and right and just, and the one that runs away from God, which is wicked and evil and foolish. And David is saying, I am following you, I am obeying your commands. And there is a category for how we understand our suffering, that there is a time when we are not the cause of our sufferings. Now, the wisdom literature also tells us there is a category that says, you're in this because you stepped in it, buddy. But the wise person is able to say which is which. And that's why we need to grow in wisdom. But the Bible does present a category that says you will sometimes face hardship and injustice even when you've done nothing wrong. David stands before God. He has examined his heart and he does not find a sin that is causing. His suffering in this occasion, and from that place, after he has examined his own heart, he is able to cry out to God for justice. I think I've told the story before, but it bears repeating. I had a friend who was in the midst of a terrible conflict in his church. And he wanted to know how to pray. Because he felt that he was being attacked unjustly. And so he would pray in sort of in two waves, in two phases. And his first prayer was, God, if this is a result of my sin, reveal it to me today. He examined his heart before the Lord. He prayed that prayer. And when in good conscience, the Lord did not reveal to him that it was a result of his sin, he would then be able to pray against the injustice that he was experiencing. And there's a similar pattern here. And there's also a call for all of us to live the life of holiness described here. Here's your target for your life that you can say honestly without self-deception that i my steps have held fast to your paths my feet have not slipped there is a level of godliness here that we should all aspire to that i have purposed that my mouth will not transgress The book of James tells us how hard that is. To not sin with our speech. But there is a pursuit of a life of innocence that I do not want us to miss. There is a life of repentance and godliness that we should all pursue here. And so when we're living in that way, we can say When we face injustice, we can, from a clean heart, cry out to God for that justice. So not only is this a prayer of justice because of the holiness and blamelessness of David, but we also see it's a prayer for justice because of injustice. Let's look at verses 6 to 9. I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me. Hear my words. Wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior, of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me. David begins this section with, again, calling God to listen. And at the same time, affirming that God will, in fact, answer him. And we see a call for deliverance and for God's favor. Verse 7, wondrously show your steadfast love. There is a call for God to show his favor to David. O Savior of those who seek refuge, keep me as the apple of your eye and protect me in the shadow of your wings. I want to pause at verse 8 there in that idea of being under the shadow of God's wings. The picture is, of course, of a bird providing protection to their young ones. Jesus picks up this this metaphor in his own ministry in Matthew 23. This idea of the protection, but also you you feel the closeness of that protection. Because what does a bird do with its wings? It, It draws its young ones close to itself. There is a nearness and a protection and a love that is demonstrated in that metaphor. And that is what David needs from the Lord, and he knows that the Lord will provide that for him. When you are facing injustice, when you are facing hardship that is not a result of your sin, the Lord puts his wings over you and draws you close, just like a mama bird. (laughs) It's a wonderful picture. But why does he need it? Why does he need God to be his mother hen? Look at verse 9. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me. That there is injustice in this world that there are those who would attack. And the picture is of being surrounded by the unjust. Verses 10 to 12 pick this up with more detail. Let's look at those verses. They close their hearts to pity. With their mouths they speak arrogantly. They have now surrounded our steps. They set their eyes to cast us to the ground. He is like a lion, eager to tear, as a young lion lurking in ambush. There's no pity in these enemies of David. They speak arrogantly, which as one author puts, it shows that it excludes God and concerns for others. And as is a common metaphor in the Psalms, the wonderful poetry of the Psalms, we see that the unjust, the unrighteous, are compared to wild animals. The ferocity and the danger. Look at verse 12. He's like a lion eager to tear. As a young lion lurking In ambush. There's real danger that David is talking about here. There is real hardship that David speaks to in our lives. These are not the first world problems of not having Wi (laughs) Fi, but in your darkest moments. When it seems that those around you are on the hunt, you can cry out for the favor and protection and justice of God. And that's what is looked at in the last section of the psalm in verses 13 to 15. Arise, O Lord, confront him, subdue him, deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword, from men by your hand, O Lord, from men of the world whose portion is in this life. You fill their womb with treasure, they are satisfied with children, and they leave their abundance to their infants. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. This section of the psalm begins with a call to action by David to the Lord. Arise, O Lord, confront him, subdue him. You see the actions of battle and war. In the second part of verse 13, Deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword. The picture is of God as warrior. And again, this is a common way in the Bible to speak of God as fighting for his people. In fact, listen to a verse from Exodus chapter 15. This is right after the crossing of the Red Sea. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. That when your life feels like you are in the midst of a war, the Lord fights for you. The picture is of the Lord armed for battle, and because he is the Lord, he cannot be defeated. And in verses 14 and 15, we see again a contrast of groups of people. We see the, in verse 14, the ones whom need to have justice executed against them. And in verse 15, contrasted with David and godly people. So who does he need to be delivered of? from men by your hand, O Lord, from men of the world whose portion is in this life. It's interesting that David does not describe them by their wickedness, but describes them by what they feel is their reward. What do they want out of life? And the ones who are being unjust to David... Their portion, their allotment, is only found in this life. The idea is that what they want, what they are ultimately pursuing, what they think will give them joy, is in the material and the here and now. Their portion is their life. They have treasure, second part of verse 14 and they're able to leave their abundance to their infants. They've rejected God for what they can pursue now, as far as materials, and what they can use today. It's reminiscent of Mark chapter 8 verse 36 for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul These men that need to be shown justice are gaining the whole world and that is all they are living for Luke 6:24 but woe to you who are rich for you have received your consolation If your riches are your God, then you have received your reward. Matthew 6, 1-2 Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. That they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. The difference in this psalm between the unjust and the just are the treasure that they are pursuing. Those who are unjust, as the scriptures say, pursue treasure that rusts and falls apart. Treasure that they can't take with them. And as we see in verse 14, treasure that will eventually just go to other people. (laughs) They leave their abundance to their infants. Someone else is always going to get your stuff because time always wins. But not so with David. What is David pursuing? He does not pursue the things. He is not just concerned with the now. But he is pursuing the Lord. Look at verse 15. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. David's ultimate treasure is not what he can amass now, and not in his stuff. And remember, especially as a king, he had a ton of stuff. (laughs) But his true and ultimate treasure is following God in righteousness. That his satisfaction is found in living a life of godliness and obedience. This this idea of satisfaction, look at the second part of verse 15. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. That as he pursues the Lord, that is what gives him satisfaction. Satisfaction. I want to point out in verse 15 there when he says when I awake there are some scholars who believe that this points to the fact that this psalm would be used as an evening prayer and the picture is of someone sitting on their bed getting ready I mean they didn't floss back then but you get the idea already and the troubles of their day threaten to steal their sleep this prayer of giving the hardship and entrusting it to the lord because you are not simply satisfied with your stuff but rather find satisfaction in your relationship with God, that at night you can begin a prayer for newness of life in the morning, and for newness of life into eternity, because that's the other aspect behind verse fifteen. We can be in relationship with God today. We can pursue him as we pursue righteous living today. But there is a promise that one day we will see him as he is. That we behold his face in reading about him and in prayer to him. But one day we will stand in his presence in heaven that what we receive in part today, the satisfaction of following him that we receive in part today, will know its completion and its fullness. And our cries for justice, which can be answered in part today, will be answered with full vindication in eternal life. where God makes all things new, where God makes all things right, and his justice and his rule are complete. That is the day that as we cry out in what we are experiencing now, we hold as our anchor that one day we will see him as he is, and justice will be fully done. A couple points of application as we close this morning. Number one, we need a desire and to work for justice no matter the circumstances. As I read through the Psalms, and if you read through them any little bit, you will see the strong emphasis on God's justice and our living lives of justice. And we need to be people committed to justice no matter the circumstances. You know, recently I was listening to the news and, and you've probably seen it, this case about this guy Jeffrey Epstein. And he's accused of a lot of things. But he's also accused of having a lot of diverse friends from both of our major political parties. And there are many commentators saying, are there other shoes that are going to drop? And I read an article from someone that I mostly disagree with politically, But what I appreciated about this author was that they were committed to justice even for people in their own political party. Even if it helps the other side. And I think that is the call for the Christian. That we desire justice to be done whether or not it is against the person we like and not against the person we don't like. Justice is important to the Lord, and one day, all of us will have to stand before him as judge. We must be committed to justice even if it does not benefit me or in fact even hurts us, because God is committed to justice. Number two. I want to hold up to us from verses three and five the picture of godly living. I think that this is what Paul had in mind when he talks about the elders being above reproach of living undeniable lives of godliness. And that call is not just for the elders of the church. That is a call for all followers of Jesus Christ. That we would live in such a way that we could say, With the psalmist, my steps have held fast to your paths, my feet have not slipped. That is our goal, that is what we pursue. And finally, to have hope and peace, that while we may have to wait for justice to be done, Ultimately, God will judge all wickedness and all injustice. That you may not experience justice today, but there is a day where all will have to stand before the Lord. And God will make all things right. And so we have a guaranteed hope of justice in Christ's return. And spending eternity living in a perfectly just new heavens and a new earth. Where wickedness is eradicated in our hearts and in our world. And for that, we can cry out to the Lord. But we can also wait, knowing that justice will be done. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the words of Psalm 17. Words that cry out for justice in a fallen and unjust world. God, that we would live lives of holiness out of love for you and the salvation we have in Jesus Christ. And that we would find refuge in your wings. And that we would find hope in the one day when you return to judge the living and the dead. And bring in the completely just world of eternal life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.